Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. We speak today to Mike Rosenstrach, who's the MD of Hexagon Energy Materials. They're an ASX-listed company who have segued from graphite exploration into the rare earth space. They're currently looking at a JV option with an American company to commercialize the Rapid SX extraction technology. We talked to him about the company's problems of the last two years, market conditions, and how indeed they're actually going to finance their side of this option. Enjoy the podcast. Hello, Mike. How are you, sir? I'm doing very well, thank you. Good man, good man. You hold up in at home in Perth, are you? Yes, in sunny Fremantle, Harbour Town. Yes. Beautiful, beautiful. And so you're allowed out occasionally for a little bit of exercise, walk the dog kind of thing, are you? Yeah, I go for a bike ramp around the harbour every morning and see which cruise ships are in or out. <laughs> very good. Wow. Okay. Well, that's, that's that sounds quite quite idyllic. So I have a lovely for you. Um, but we're here to talk about your company, Hexagon. So why don't you kick off, give us a one minute overview and we'll pick it up from there. Okay. Well, Hexagon is an Australian listed company. We're focused on what we call energy materials. And this is so we are leveraged to the renewables industry and e-mobility in terms of electric cars. We spend a lot of time focusing on supply chains to understand what materials we want to be in and where in the supply chain we want to be. And we are in graphite, specialty graphite aimed at batteries and renewable energy and electric vehicle energy storage. And more recently, we're particularly focused on rare earths. Not interested in the rare earths mine, we're interested in downstream rare earth processing because that's where we think the pinch point is in the supply chain. We've had tremendous leverage to these high growth sectors. We are focused on the deep, wealthy market of America to start this business off. A key mantra for us is fast tracking to cash flow. And I think the things that we'll talk about, you'll see how we're trying to achieve that. Okay. Thank you for that, first of all. Um, obviously, the battery thematic has been um, you know, very, very topical for the last two, three years. Obviously, you know, Tesla, so I guess, kind of kicked, kicked it off for us. But most companies that talk to us are telling us about what they're going to put inside a battery. And uh, I'm just interested in working at how they do that economically. So I think today, if you're okay with that, I'd like to start off sort of understanding what you set out to try to do. So I, I like the battery thematic. Um, I like some of the things you said said there, but it's a case of how do you, as a relatively small market cap company, you know, less than 20 million Aussie, um, go about achieving that. Thank you for reminding me about that. It, 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 I'm sure your shareholders do too. So um, why don't we talk about what did you set out to do day one? And, you know, have you kind of, are you going to maintain that course or are you having to adapt as the markets are changing? Okay, well, I'll just, I'll just correct you a little bit. Not correct, just modify your, your question a little bit. And that batteries are an important part of it. And it is where we started, but I'm, you'll see how we've changed course. So when I joined Hexagon in, in March of 2017, I had a very clear mandate. It was commercialize a graphite deposit that the company had in Australia. Now, something that people need to appreciate, and I think, I hope you don't mind a long-winded answer, but in this whole battery material space, I think people are struggling a bit because we're used to gold, copper, silver, these commodity materials, they kind of sell themselves. When you get into the industrial materials, a subset of which is battery materials, you're getting into 
very bespoke specialty materials and they do not sell themselves. They are generally at the high end bespoke materials for specific high end uh, applications. And you really need to work really hard to understand the value drivers and then the marketing aspects of that. So having that understanding in place from, I guess, previous scars and accolades, my focus of, on our Macintosh Graphite project wasn't to do the typical Explorer thing and go out and drill a whole more, lot more holes. If it was a gold project, great way to add value, drill more holes, build up the resource, and everybody can see the value add. In graphite, I didn't think that that was the right way to go. I thought what we needed to do was to understand what are the technical attributes in our graphite concentrate that our customers would pay for. What do they value? What are the aspects of our flow sheet and what aspects should it concentrate to make sure that we enhance so that we have a high value material to our customers. Mm -hmm. Also, when I joined, uh, the company was just uh, primarily focused on lithium ion battery material, graphite as part of the anode of these batteries. That worried me a little bit because China at that time dominated the graphite anode uh, market for lithium ion batteries and still does. And I thought, gee, do we really want to be making this stuff and going head to head competing with China? So part of that exploration of where are the value in graphite concentrate was to also determine what else can our graphite material from the Macintosh project, what else can it do? And so we, so that was the, so that was the mandate was commercialization deposit. We then looked for those value drivers. And then we started to appreciate that there's actually a lot of value in the downstream of the graphite business more than just the upstream. Now, if I reflected a little bit on last year, we had amazingly actually financed our graphite project. We had a joint venture with a major Australian mining company and they were going to fund everything through to production. So that was a big tick for us. That was something we completed in 2018. As we went through 2019, we were, whilst they were doing that upstream work, we were focusing more and more on the downstream. And um, unfortunately through 2019, as you watch the graphite prices and you watch the supply coming on stream from non-China sources out of Africa, the prices declined. And in September of last year, we put our hand up, we made public announcement that we were struggling to have the project viable in these price levels and that we were going to increasingly focus on our downstream business. So your question was really around what was my mandate or what was my strategy? And I guess I'm just sharing with you the journey that we've taken over the last couple of years in terms of this graphite adventure. So where we ended up, much to the chagrin of our shareholders and disappointing for all of us, was that we actually were pulling back from our primary graphite business in terms of the upstream and trying to lean in and focus more on the downstream specialty graphite materials for specialty markets with a very much made in the USA focus because that's where our technical expertise was based. All right. Now, through the course of all of that, we through that technical expertise in North America, we met some really sharp people on the rare earth space. And rare earths are linked into the graphite thematic, the renewable energy thematic. Um, through rare earth permanent magnets. And we started to look at the rare earth supply chain and we realized that what this group of 
was this group called Innovation Metals Corporation had was a midstream or a, let's call it downstream process for separating rare earths and that that was a real pinch point in the supply chain. And look, we, we, we like these people. We were working with them on some of the graphite material and we ultimately ended up in October of last year doing a transaction which would see us work hand in hand to commercialize this rare earth separation. So you can see there in your question, we've taken this, what some people see as a major pivot. And I guess that's right, but it's not a major pivot from graphite to rare earths. I would argue it's a major pivot from upstream to downstream in an energy materials sector. If I could just really quickly add, that's just to set the scene in case any of the viewers are wondering rare earths, well, what does it mean? Well, if you have an electric motor with rare earth permanent magnets in it and you plug into that a battery and put four wheels there, you have an electric car. With those rare earth permanent magnets, if you take the wheels and the battery off and put propellers on it, you have a wind turbine. And with those neodymium, praseodymium type magnets, you get significantly more efficient power generation or utilization. And so that talks about range anxiety and things like that for EVs. So that kind of sets the scene, why they are so important. And obviously graphite sits there in the battery and has other applications in this computer screen and other things that we're using right now. Great summary. You've actually answered a few of the things I was going to ask you. And I do appreciate companies when they put their hands up and go, we got it wrong, we acknowledge that. So, you know, thank you for saying that. Um, but nevertheless, you presided over a fall in the share price over that period since 2018. Obviously, graphite price you can't control. Okay. Then, you know, so segueing away from that and looking at, okay, I'll buy your argument about saying we're going downstream, upstream versus downstream. That's the major pivot. But you've kind of been meandering there and you've got a relationship with innovation metals. Great. But do you think that's the problem? Is the, Do you think your shareholders know what you're trying to be? Or do they just see you sort of wandering around trying to latch onto something which may work as the market ch changes radically? Because, you know, cause I, you know, one of the words which you, you put in your presentation, which I latched onto immediately because I thought it was a sort of odd word, which was um, disrupting the rare earths sector okay you know that, that's a very sort of it back 10 years ago type phrase um you know but to deliver on that as a small company to make an impact in the market to truly disrupt i'm really intrigued as to how you think you're going to do it because you're going to need you're up against some big boys you're going to need cash and you're going to need a plan so you know can you tell us you know what you mean by disrupting the rare earth supply chain is completely dominated by china China, it's not, a, it's not a supply chain in China. It's really a sort of a cross-subsidies, subsidized amorphous mass that spits out rare earth materials, magnets, etc. By being focused in North America, you are really at the pointy end of concern about strategic supply of rare earths. For quite a few applications, they are not substitutable. And they have a burgeoning EV manufacturing sector, particularly in the Southern States where they are looking for domestically sourced material, be it battery inputs or electric motor inputs. So that's kind of setting the scene. How do we disrupt that? Really good point. 
uh, a junior company from Australia holding hands with a Canadian uh, junior. Well, it's the, by virtue of the quality of the technology. So China has a vast amount of capital invested in the separation uh, process or the capital equipment. And to use that conventional solvent extraction equipment outside of China would involve very significant capital expenditure. Here we have a technology for separating rare earths called Rapid SX. That footprint is significantly reduced. That means that when a producer is now thinking, what am I going to do with my rare earth concentrate? Am I going to sell it to China and take a big discount on the revenue? Or can I actually afford to build my own plant? If they're putting in a conventional SX plant, they can't afford to do it fundamentally. But if they put in a rapid SX plant with a significantly modified capital cost profile or reduced, it becomes possible. So that's the thematic. So we're not talking here about becoming a world player in rare earths or suddenly changing things overnight. But if we put one commercial modest sized facility, for example, into North America, and we start to demonstrate that materials sourced out of North America can be processed into oxides in North America, then some of the existing rare earth permanent magnet makers, for example, smaller scale compared to what's in China, but perhaps out of Europe or Japan or Korea, they will seriously start to look at setting up a facility in North America. At the moment, there generally aren't any of any significant scale. And so it is an emerging aspect in terms of enabling or disrupting that supply chain. Uh, I still haven't thought about that IT reference, um, but um, it's so, so it's a stepwise function. And the key to us is unlike the graphite or the lithium market, where you just had an enormous volume of material hit the market for lithium out of hard rock West Australian sources, for graphite out of um, Africa. Instead of overwhelming the market like that, this is a gradual entry. And I think it would be something stepwise where end users say, gee, we can get material now from somewhere other than China. They will give that a crack, probably not for all of their material. And then that works. And or there's an emerging new mine that comes on. They want to capture that extra value. I'm not saying it's an overnight transition. Maybe in that regard, Disrupt is a bit strong. Yeah. But look at it in five years time or 10 years time, and you will see that China no longer dominates by 90%. Maybe I'm get pulling numbers out of here, but maybe it's only seventy percent because there's now supply out of North America and Australia, for example, Canada. Okay. Okay. I think there's lots of strategic metals which America is very interested in. In fact, the whole European ecosystem is very interested in, and not being reliant on China. So I, I get, I buy that. Um, yes. And the reference about disrupting, you know, from, from the IT perspective, there's lots of companies that set out to change the world, but in reality, very few of them do. So I agree with you. I think it's a little bit of a, a strong word because there are other operators in the rare earth space, you know, with doing their neodymium and preodymium stories and telling them into the marketplace. And they're all struggling to raise cash because it's yeah. the trouble with rare earths is it's not like gold or copper or any of those very large uh, you know commodities where people understand them they're well trodden path so it's hard for small companies to one get noticed two to get funded 
and three, to get funded at any significant quantity, right? You know, to do the things that you want to do. So that that's what I was talking about when I, you know, I just wondered what you yeah. meant by disrupting. And I think what I'm interpreting here is by disruption, you're saying you're just trying to find a space in the market where you can create a commercial opportunity. So North America, great. It's a big... Not fine. Sorry to interrupt you. I don't know if this medium is prone to it's good. interruption. Or no, interruption. absolutely. Sorry about that. But it's not fine. It's actually create. We're sort of creating a wedge. Well, who, own, who owns RapidSX, for instance? Who owns the IP to RapidSX? Okay, the, so RapidSX is owned, it was developed and owned by Innovation Metals Corp, this private Canadian right. group, our joint venture, our partner. Mm -hmm. They own it. It's a patentable technology that has these technical advantages over conventional SX for separating rare earth. So tell me about the JV. What are, what are you bringing to the party? Cash. We've got to put in $2 million uh, US to build a demonstration plant. I'll come back, back to that point if I may. And uh, look, from a joint venture point of view, we bring the uh, sort of commercial and marketing expertise and they bring the technical expertise. And, and that's really, I guess, how this conversation started. We end up with 49%, they end up with 51 But take away the equity numbers, we actually have an equal say at the table. It's a collaborative relationship. Okay, and so tell me a little bit about innovation at Metals. How big is that operation? Are they private, public? So I should have checked, but what can you tell me about them? Yeah, look, it's a private Canadian group. Dr. Gareth Hatch and Patrick Wong are the founders. They they developed Rapid SX for rare earths. They did it as part of a phased program, which was funded by the US government, the Department of Defense, actually. And again, talking about strategic supply and domestic capability. And uh, by virtue of at least around about $2 million of funding, they, in a series of stages, the final one of which was piloting Rapid SX, they developed this new way of um, plucking metals out of dilute solutions. That's what solvent extraction does plucks metals out of some dilute solutions. And it's particularly tailored to rare earths where you've got 16 different metals sitting in solution and you only want some of them for specific purposes. Right, okay. So, so we get, I think we're getting to a really interesting bit here. So you, if you come up with your two million bucks, um, build a, a pilot plant to be able to demonstrate this in North America somewhere, um, you've fulfilled your side of, of the bargain and that JV holds true. If you're unable to raise the money, to build that plant, I guess you, you go your separate ways. Again, they, they hold the IP, you don't. Correct. Right, so they've bought Correct. into your- It's effectively an option. It's an option, there we go, right. So the, they're buying into your commercial expertise at a, uh, an ability to um, help them. I, I assume they are mainly scientific or technical in their background. Why have they latched onto you as the solution to their com commercial problems in terms of raising capital? And oh developing markets. Why they latched onto us? Look, it, it was it was by way of introduction. As I said, we started working with Dr. Hatch on graphite matters when we engaged him as a technical advisor. Um, I wouldn't, the, this is not a group of propeller head scientists. These are astute, technically focused people in the advanced materials space. Um, but with particularly one of our guys out of North America, we bring a sort of a knowledge and a marketing experience and I guess some commercial background in that where together as a team, it works well. Look, a lot of the times these things, if the people aspect isn't right, they don't work. I think in this particular case, when we set out on this um, uh, arrangement, 
we felt the people aspect worked and that we could um, uh, execute this plan as, as we're discussing it now. We've had some issues along the way. We've got a big issue now with external COVID issues, but uh, we're trying to work through those. Well, absolutely. And I'm sure we'll touch on, touch on that. I just want to look at another phrase you've used <clears throat> in the PowerPoint, which is a pathway to near-term cash generation. So I assume we're talking about uh, the rapid SX as, as that, the solution for that. So what do you mean by pathway, near-term, and how do you define ca the cash generation in terms of how do you quantify what that could be? Is it all guesswork at the moment, or are there numbers that you've, you've actually um, come up with through analysis? Okay, I'll work backwards. Yes, there are real numbers there, but you'll appreciate that um, they need to have certain rigor around them or um, there's, there's aspects around them which at this stage I can't report them, okay? So we've done, so we, are, we have done it. We're doing a lot of work around comparing rapid, looking at it from the customer's point of view and looking at it from our business perspective. And this is what, this is what I call commercialization. So that's, that's our core activity. And, uh, and that's what we're, we're working to do. Um, near term means over the course of the next year to few years, okay? And when you consider that, compare that to a rare earth mining project or something, which is basically 10 to 20 years, um, that is near term. Now, we have an interesting situation that after we've put in the 2 million and built the commercial demonstration plant, that effectively becomes self-sustaining financially. I wouldn't say it becomes profitable, okay? It's there as a service for our customers to put their sample through, do all the financial and technical assessments, love it, and then agree to enter into a technical or into a commercial relationship. That's the cash flow aspect. What's that to commercial relationship? Sorry, you have a question? Well, and, well yeah, so what exactly would you be selling at that point? So you've, you've set up a pilot yeah. plant. It's a kind of, you know, under lab conditions, we can extract rare earths from your ore that you've sent us. Um, what precisely will you be selling them after they've done? Because presumably these rare earth companies will be building their own plant, processing and building their own plants and they're going to be buying rapid SX off you? Is that, is that the...? Well, it's the commercial demonstration plant, to be a little bit technical, is actually, it's not a lab, okay? Um, it's there to really demonstrate to financiers, X me, X you, that this thing works. Okay, so that's, that's one aspect. But um, really the commercialization then is what do you sell them? Look, we're looking at two themes here. One is to sell them a, license, a technical license. There you go, guys. So therefore, we have no capital outlay at that stage. We know that there are cost savings around capital and operating, particularly around capital cost. And what we do is we look at that pie of cost savings and we negotiate how we're going to split it up in a technical uh, royalty sort of structure. Okay? And that can include uh, a whole variety of structures around that. And that can bring cash flow forward. So that's a licensing arrangement. The other one is where you actually collaborate or in some way or another, we have our name on the door of a separation plant and the mining company or the producer of the concentrates has some commercial relationship with us where we or they somehow process it together, but we both have something at stake. And in other words, we actually are sort of owning part of this downstream refining business. So there's two models that we're looking at. Okay. Where are you today with that? Because again, I'm looking at the share price, no, no one's listening. 
to the to the story. Um, in fact, the only thing that seems to have been disrupted is is your share price because you were on a sort of bit of a run, middle of you know eighteen through to nineteen, and you know I, I get the segue thing, but why isn't anyone listening? Do you think because because I look at the numbers you you put in here and say it's significantly better than ex- existing uh, solutions, right? It you know it works much much better, um, and I guess that gives you an idea of how you price this thing. So. What conversations are you having? Is anyone listening? Is anyone interested? And can you raise this two million bucks? Okay, there's well, there's two audiences that we need, or maybe three audiences. One audience is our traditional long shareholder um, audience, which has been on the register for a long time, and they've invested in an exploration company and they invested in a graphite exploration company. And we are now really turning into a tech company. So that's one audience. Now, if they're listening, some of the, quite a lot of them haven't liked it, and that's been responsible for the share price. We've got a second audience, which is our potential customers or clients for RapidSX. Yes, they are listening. And the reason that I know that is because IMC has signed a whole variety of NDAs with a variety of people who are in the industry. And I'm quite astounded as to the quality of some of those people. So there are certainly people leaning into that conversation, interested to look at RapidSX as an opportunity for them to add value to their operation. And recently in February, one of those people did more than sign an NDA, sort of a quite an experienced North American group, uh, UCOR Rare Metals signed what we call a technical services agreement. So they are prepared to front up with sample and uh, utilize the demonstration plant when it's ready. Obviously they wanna know when's it gonna be ready and that's an issue we need to manage. And the third audience group is now, and I, I think since you're so keen to admire our share price, have a look at it more recently. And look, it's, it's interesting that we are starting to pick up a bit of attention, I think out of Europe or in some part, but from investors who are now interested in rare earths and are interested in technology. They quite often have a resources background, but they know that they are going downstream. And we're starting to see volume-wise and a little bit of price appreciation uh, on that front. So I'm hoping that that third audience will grow. I totally get what you're saying. Our story has pivoted very strongly from being a graphite play to now being into downstream rare earths. It's a real issue. And, you know, I've changed our investor relations people recently. I'm listening to them in terms of advice. I'm doing these kind of interviews. I'm taking every opportunity I can to try and explain the strategy. Even that presentation that you're referring to is only talking about rare earths. We have some other strings to our bow, but it's only talking about rare earths. One story, one message, and let's just be accountable to that progress. That's where we're- So, So that third audience is really important to you potentially, yeah. because that may be where you get your two million bucks from, which you need. Well, you probably need a bit more than that, but tell me more about those conversations. Where are you and how confident are you in your ability to fulfill your JV contract, which is go and raise two million bucks, build this pilot plant? Is that going to happen anytime soon? Uh, if you'd asked me that question four to six weeks ago, I would have said yes. All right. Okay. But so what was happening for you? Tell, well, tell me about that, because, you know, it'll get back there. We, you know, conversations will resume, I hope. What I'm really looking for in regard to that US 2 million, so let's put it all on the table. This is US 2 million. Two weeks ago, the Australian dollar uh, to the US dollar was 
in the 50s. So not only were we fighting a downward trend in share price, we're also fighting the exchange rate, making it harder and harder to get this US 2 million. I think US 2 million at one stage was 25% of our market cap. Yes, we've improved since then and the exchange rates moved a little bit back um, the other way. So just, just to give you a sense of you know the kind of things that we're dealing with. But really what, we're, what I was looking to do January, February, I was looking to do a fundraising sort of at the top co-level perhaps, uh, perhaps some of those people that we're talking to that, about that are believers in rare earths, are believers in technology, but perhaps also have an investment directly at the subsidiary company level, more from somebody who's who was say a significant fund or an um, investment group, and uh, and get them in as a strategic partner, so that when we talk about further growth, we actually have somebody who we can work with who's got the balance sheet or the deep pockets to facilitate those other growth growth initiatives in rare earths and graphite. So it's sort of a two-tiered approach. Since COVID uh, pandemic has swept the world, I've kind of moved the top aspect away and I'm concentrating solely on the direct investment into the at the asset level. Fortunately, before I cut an overseas trip short, I was engaged in some quite fruitful discussions with three or four different groups and um, and those discussions with three people, one dropped out, are continuing. Why did they drop out? Personal issues, business issues. There is so much distracting us at the moment other than some little company out of Western Australia that wants to raise $2 million. Okay, well, let's talk about, let's talk about the market in the future post-COVID. Because again, like you, we talk to you know, fund managers, investors all the time, and you know their view of the battery space is it's going to be hit because people are going to reevaluate the way that they make investments, not investment, purchasing decisions. Because that new car maybe isn't so important post a global pandemic like this. Um, and certainly don't want to be, <clears throat> pardon me, they certainly don't want to be paying a premium for a battery uh, car because that's the, the, the cars at the moment are factoring in the R&D component and early adopters are sucking that up. Maybe a few less people will want to do that. So the demand side maybe isn't as rosy as before COVID. I mean, what's your take on it? I, I think it's a really valid point. I'm sorry to agree with you. You're expecting me to go, no, no, and have my rose-tinted glasses on. I think the reality is you're right. I think there's something that people don't recognize. I would love to own a Tesla Sports. What a beautiful car. But at the moment, in Australian dollars, I'm not going to spend $180,000 on one. In other words, it's discretionary expenditure. All right? And just like way back in the day, uh, I'm pointing upwards because I've got solar panels on my roof. They were really You're not looking something. for divine intervention. No, no. <laughs> uh, they were something that if you could afford them, you put them there. Okay, there's some subsidies and things that, there. In other words, some of these renewable energy, battery EVs, they are discretionary expenditure, except for one major point. A big portion of this demand is now legislated. There's a legislated aspect to the demand. And what we're seeing perhaps in vehicle manufacturers is they're being forced to build a certain number or deliver a certain number of electric vehicles. And they're trying to subsidize that by perhaps producing more SUVs or something else where they're getting a profit margin on. Because I'm not saying they're making a loss on EVs, but there's an interesting sort of dynamic there because they're being, they are being forced to produce these. 
we have seen, and, and so I, I, I get that, and I am expecting that demand side to fall away. But the demand numbers were outstanding previously. They were something like 18 to 20% CAGR. They were, yeah, they're vertical. If, if they're half that, they are still very attractive. And you've got this mix of legislative demand and discretion, and you know, people want to buy an EV. They want to sit under a wind or plug into wind power and things like that. So look, we're going to go through a rough patch. Hopefully it's going to be short, but I don't think those demand, I think the demand will be there. And I think one part is because there is this legislative demand aspect, but I do acknowledge there's a big discretionary component to this. I'm not, I'm not just refuting that at all. You might want to put your rose tinted glasses back on for this next question. What's that macro scenario going to do for you and your ability to raise this 2 million bucks? Look, I, I think I'm a little bit pregnant with some real um, people that are thinking. I'm, I'm all by myself, you know. I'm, I'm you, a poor choice of. We people. need to work on the analogies. <laughs> yeah, work on the metaphor. Anyway, you're pregnant. Look, did you say you're pregnant? Congratulations. I am. Metaphorically, I am pregnant with some opportunities to get my two million dollars. The reason that somebody with significant wealth or funds at their disposal are talking to us is because they can see other opportunities to deploy additional capital from the two. You'll appreciate a $2 million investment to any sort of sizable fund or investment group is nothing. Why would you bother unless there are these, it's an exciting sector and there are other follow on. So look, I think we've got good traction with a couple of key players who take medium to long-term view of life and I think we've got a pretty reasonable chance of doing this business. Nothing's assured. But I'm springing out of bed every morning and that's what I'm focused on, having lots of conversations like this. Good. Mike, thank you so much. I really enjoyed that. That was a refreshingly honest uh, appraisal. Um, I like the space. And obviously, the, the, if, if the numbers that you're showing in your presentation with regards to Rapid, SX are the case, you, you've, you've got a very good, very good um, product in place. I, you know, and, I, and, I, and it'd be great, great to see you actually get this funded because like I say, it's not a lot of money. I, I know, look, we, we've got to work on our modeling so that we can share the numbers. One of the problems is that rare earth deposits, they're actually really quite diverse in terms of the endowment and also what people are looking to pluck out of the endowment. And so it's hard for us to come up with typical numbers as you can, for example, for a gold and silver mine or something like that. And the other thing is the marketing aspect, how we set up the business case, how we market it is key. And um, look, I think I've got a small competent team working on this at the moment and hopefully maybe in six months time, we'll be having this conversation and we'll have taken a big step forward. I hope so, I hope so. Mike, thank you very much for your time today. Pick up the thank phone you. when you're ready to talk. Okay, it's good talking to you. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.